Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and as you well know, this is the magazine format <laughs> podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark, in which we have several segments, and today's segments are... A food debate? Oh, gosh. Our one-minute <laughs> cooking tip. That sounds really Mark is scary. very nervous about this one. Bruce's interview with a pizza master. And as we always end, what's making us happy in food this week? So let's start off. So here's how the food debate is going to go. We are going to put to rest some of the most controversial food disagreements ever, mostly disagreements between Mark and Bruce. Oh. And so here's what's going to happen. You mean, wait, are we going to put them to rest? Oh, yeah. And uh, one of us is right. And who's asking the questions? I am. I'm asking you the So questions. my answer is right. Hmm. See? We're going to put them to rest. Mark is no, going to like answer this. these questions, no, and I, I will either like it. agree or disagree no, with No, I'm liking it. Right. I'm, I'm liking it. Okay, so the answer so, is always the one I give. Okay. Question number one. Man, marriage should always work out like this. Should chili have beans? No. No. Anyway, I agree chili, with you. Chili should not have beans. If you know beans about chili, you know chili doesn't have beans. For God's sake. Listen, we've written a lot of recipes for the Instant Pot in which chili has beans because I know it's super popular. But as a good Texas boy, I grew up that chili was chili con carne, and chili does not have beans and in it. For even God's just that sake. name, chili con carne, that means chilies with meat. Chilies. Because it's chili. Because. What is chili? Chilies are chilies. Chilies with beans. It's not for God's sake. And there's sake. also, in good Texas, chili con carne, there are no tomatoes. Oh, that's a whole different matter. Basically, and good chili starts with dried good chilies. You soak them, you puree them, and you cook them up with meat and onions and garlic, and you don't put tomatoes and you don't put beans. And here's the thing. I love beans. I really do. But it's just it's just a Texas thing. As far as I'm concerned, no self-respecting chili has beans in it. Even though most U.S. citizens and apparently, given the emails we get, Canadian citizens like beans in their chili. And before we move on, let me also say something that good Texas chili doesn't have ground beef. Oh, well, that's it another has matter. diced up steak or diced up pork. Man, so you are really pulling all the authority cards Good here. Texas chili has no ground beef, no tomatoes, and no beans. Says the boy from Queens. All right. Did you not agree with me? I do totally okay. agree with you. Do now, go on. Question number two. You're going to be wrong here. Should you use ketchup on a hot dog? No. See, you're wrong. No. no. Oh, <laughs> God. You do not put ketchup on a hot dog. First of all, you put ketchup on everything. No. Ketchup on eggs. Oh. Ew. If pizza doesn't have enough sauce, you could put some ketchup on it. I threw it in my mouth. <laughs> Um, no. Luxion and cream cheese gets ketchup in it. That was oh. my grandma Rose's idea of of spaghetti with creamy tomato sauce was you take noodles, oh. you melt cream cheese, and you add ketchup. And when I was growing up, that was creamy tomato sauce. I'm sorry, I have to use the bathroom. <laughs> um that is disgusting. Uh no. In yeah. fact, my mother who raised me right oh wait excuse me who reared me right <laughs> my my mother anytime i was a kid and i was around her and i started to put ketchup on a hamburger this is not a hot dog but on a hamburger she would look at me and say i raised you better than that oh well she's so, completely wrong ketchup belongs on everything <laughs> so you're both wrong it's mustard, for God's sake, especially with a hot dog. Your mustard and your pork are your combined products. Okay, so we've decided no ketchup on a hot dog. We got that one set aside. Okay. Are burgers sandwiches? No. 
Oh, you're so wrong. They're between two pieces of bread. They're a sandwich. No, they're not. They're on a bun. <laughs> when they're between two pieces of bread, like certain New Yorkers eat them, then they're just bastardized <laughs> products. They're not anything real. I'm sorry. A burger is on a bun. A sandwich is on bread. The end. Don't at me about hoagies <laughs> and don't at me about subs. Okay, <laughs> I'm going with what I think. Which part of a chicken wing is better, the drumette or the wingette? Oh, the drumette. Oh, I agree with you. Every Definitely time. the drumette. A lot, of, a lot of people disagree because they think there's more skin on the wingette. Mm. The skin to meat ratio mm, is... Maybe. But I, be, I, I, agree. I think the drumette's better. The drumette's better because there's more meat to it. And if you have any kind of barbecue sauce or any kind of rub, there's more to it at the end down there. And also, I just think they're easy to... I'm sorry. I, so, okay. Yes, I'm a little OCD. That wingette is just harder to eat. It's messier. So I had all those bones going everywhere. So the drumhead is just easier to eat. <laughs> Should you put milk in tea? No. Well, no. I agree with you again. No. No. It's I so wrong. Cannot, I, don't, I don't. What the hell is wrong with the UK? You <laughs> do not put milk in tea. That's disgusting. Tea should be an unadulterated pleasure. I have to tell you that I am a total tea snob. I buy, oh my God, please forgive me. Don't hate me and run away. I buy single leaf organic teas from specific growers. I am super snotty about the tea I drink. And no, no milk, no sugar, and for God's sake, no lemon. Now, that doesn't go for iced tea. In iced tea, you put lemon. No, you don't. Yes, you do. You put lemon, yes. but you do not put sugar. And let me say this about other thing about tea. If you ever put a flavoring in it, I will disown you. I do not like flavored tea. So don't like, when I come to your house, don't ask me if I want tea and then hand me, you know, like passion fruit lime tea. Because that's not tea. I don't know what that abomination is. So flavored tea is not tea. Yeah, and lavender tea. Just what I've always wanted. Tea that tastes like bathroom deodorizer. It's the same thing with coffee. If you invite me for dinner and you say, want a cup of coffee afterwards, and I say yes, and when I put it to my mouth, it tastes like, I don't know, Swiss mocha hazelnut. I am not going to be a happy camper. Okay. You you know, you've just gotten yourself banned from everyone's house for dinner, but go on. Speaking else? of coffee, is decaf coffee like kissing your sister? Yes. Yeah, I agree. What's the point? What is the point of decaffeinated coffee? I don't I, understand. I don't understand it either. There's and not that much caffeine in coffee. No, but I mean, I admit, I will admit that I have um, the age now in which I can have an espresso after dinner, but I can't have a whole cup of coffee. And you, in case you don't know, in a generally in a single pull, a proper pull of espresso, there is less oh, caffeine much less. than there is in a cup of brewed coffee. Mm -hmm. And I can have still to this day an espresso after dinner, but I can't have a cup. But still, I'd rather not have anything than have decaf coffee. It's just, I just don't get it. Okay. And the last one, I'm actually going to pose it as a statement, not a question. Deviled eggs should be banned from the universe. No. Oh, yeah. No. No. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. No. In fact, hard-boiled eggs and anything made with them should be banned no. from the universe. Egg salad is a fine thing mm. in life. Mm. Mm. I, mean, I think I just threw up a little in my mouth. Eggs and mayonnaise. Mm. 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 A little pickle relish in it. That mm. is the best. Mm. And deviled eggs, mm. especially if they're made with crab. If there's crab in the deviled eggs. Why, or they're made why with would you ruin good seafood that way? Sriracha all over the deviled <laughs> eggs. Now we are talking fine eating. So mm, you know what? You can go away. More deviled <laughs> eggs for me. So up next. Segment two, having put together every food debate that could ever exist. Segment two, our one-minute cooking tip. What is it? Season cold food more heavily than hot food. Oh, 
fascinatingly difficult problem, and I'm slowing down so that you'll explain it, even though this is only in one minute, so go fast, go. Okay, warmth, heat, brings out the essential oils and all kinds of flavoring, so hot food has more flavor than cold food. Cold Always. retards the flavor. Always. Therefore, you need more seasoning with cold food because it doesn't taste as good as hot food. That's right, with the single exception, in my opinion, of salt. In my opinion, you should salt warm food or hot food more heavily than cold food because salt sits up on top of cold food and it's more present to the tongue when it gets to you. So that's my one exception in this. In a previous episode, I interviewed the guys that wrote Modernist Pizza and we had this fabulous discussion of pizza. But pizza is such a huge topic that Mark has shown me this new book called The Joy of Pizza, right? Yes, it's The Joy of Pizza. So up next, Bruce is going to interview Dan Richer, the owner of Pizzeria Razza in Jersey City, New Jersey. So take it away, Bruce. Today, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with Dan Richer, author of Joy of Pizza and owner of Razza Pizza in Jersey City. Dan not only serves the best pizza in New Jersey and art he's crafted over a lifetime, but he finds joy in sharing his secrets and recipes with the rest of us. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Your, your book, Joy of Pizza, is not only absolutely beautiful, the photos are gorgeous, the pizzas look great. You open the book with a pizza evaluation rubric. It's a scorecard where you encourage us to judge things like the size of pizzas, the topping of the diameter, the crust height. Why are all these details so important to a good pizza? So I feel like in order to build a house, you need a set of blueprints, right? So the pizza evaluation rubric for me was initially a way to evaluate and judge my performance and, and my ability to hit all the characteristics that I set out to hit. It's something that I think can be applied not just to pizza, but anything you're trying to create. You have to name your intention if you want to, uh, if you want to create something. Otherwise, you're just kind of flying blind and putting things together, but you don't really know what you're trying to achieve. In that scorecard, you talk about the uh, size of pizzas. I, I think that's probably a important thing that a lot of people don't consider because from one pizzeria to another sizes vary what's your idea of the perfect size pizza for me it's a 12 inch pizza at the restaurant because we have 12 inch boxes right so the pizza <laughs> has to fit in the box so that was one of the things that uh that we use internally at the restaurant because if if our pizza is just a half inch too big or an inch too small the guest is not going to have a great experience with it. At home, it's a little bit less demanding, right? You, you know the pizza has to fit on, on top of your pizza stone. So if you have a 12-inch stone or a 16-inch stone and, that, and the pizza you make is an inch too big, it's not going to fit on your pizza stone. It's all very common sense. It is, but so many people don't think about that. I mean, when you open a pizza box, of course you want the pizza to look great and fit that box. You don't want it to be too small so you feel like you're cheated. Exactly. And certainly if it's too big, you can't fit it in the box to your customers. And then the crust folds over and that's never a great experience. So the photos, as I said in your book, are incredible. Pizzas are perfect. There's just a touch of char at spots of the crust and on the cheese, but it's not overly burnt. So. I think that makes a perfect pizza. What tips can you offer the home cook to achieve this perfect level of doneness? First, your dough recipe that you use needs to be formulated around the oven that you're baking in. 
So that's one of, one of the great points about our book is that the dough recipe is not exactly the dough recipe that we use at the restaurant. It's specifically formulated around the slightly lower temperatures of a home oven. It's meant to bake at 500 to 550 degrees. So that's first. Dough recipe has to be formulated around the oven. Uh, second thing is you need a pizza stone or a pizza steel in your oven. It's thermal mass, which absorbs the heat of your oven and then slowly transfers it to your pizza crust. Uh, your oven also has to be as hot as it can possibly go. I think people are familiar with stones and not necessarily with steels. Can you explain a bit about pizza steel? Sure. In my 20 years of pizza making, I've broken probably three or four pizza stones, whether it was a crack in the oven, a chip, or I dropped it. I've just broken so many that I, I kind of swore them off. And pizza steel is indestructible. It can be a family heirloom, like a cast iron pot. Do you have a specific thickness you like for a pizza steel? The thicker, the better. The more thermal mass we can you know, incorporate into your oven to make it more efficient and absorb the heat of the oven, uh, it, it just makes your, it makes your oven more efficient in general. Uh, so another trick is to, um, is to go to a big box store and, or anywhere on the internet and buy fire bricks, which are basically uh, bricks that can withstand high temperatures. So I, I'll buy like eight of them and, and put them on a baking tray, put it into the oven, and then put the pizza stone or steel directly on top of that. So then you just, you have a ton of thermal mass and your oven is going to be so much more efficient. So you're building all this thermal mass in your oven. How long do you need to heat the oven up before that's ready for your pizza? It depends on how much thermal mass you have in your oven. If you have a lot of thermal mass, like my, my wood-fired oven at the, at the restaurant has 12 inches of insulating material. So it takes hours to heat up. If you just have a pizza stone or pizza steel, I recommend a minimum of one hour uh, of preheat on the hottest setting with that pizza stone or steel inside the oven. The first thing I do on my bake days is turn on the oven. Before I get my ingredients ready, before I take my dough out of the fridge, sometimes the first thing I do is turn on, turn on my oven and I'm going to make pizzas in about two hours right today. So first thing I did, turn on that oven. A lot of people want to make pizza at home, but just can't manage to make their own dough. So they'll buy a dough. If you're doing that, should you use the dough cold or at room temp? Never use dough cold, ever. We always, we want that yeast to be really actively producing gas. And the only way that that, that can happen is if it's at a, a more warm temperature. Great tip. You say the best sauce for pizza just starts with canned whole tomatoes and you don't doctor them up a lot. It's just basically the crushed up tomato. How do you choose one brand over another? Okay, so we have an, a tomato evaluation rubric also in the book. I always recommend using your taste buds. It's kind of like wine tasting right? Uh, where all wine is just one ingredient. It's a fermented grape, right? But the location, the, the method of production really creates a lot of nuance. And there's so many different types of wine out there, right? And the only way we can get a, a better understanding of wine or tomatoes is to taste and continuously taste. We always recommend going to the supermarket, 
buy four or five different cans of whole peel tomatoes, take the labels off, mark the bottoms of the can. So you remember which ones you liked and, and really taste it. And while you're tasting it, use the tomato evaluation system to, to say, Oh, there's that's acidity. This one has a lot more acidity. Do I like that? Do I not like that? This one has a, is very sweet. Do I like that? Or do I not like that? So in the restaurant, what kind of tomato are you going for? So we always have multiple different tomatoes in the restaurant because I am a little bit obsessive about tomatoes and ingredients in general. Uh, so we have a yellow tomato from Southern Italy. We have a, um, a whole peeled from California. We have one from uh, New Jersey in fresh tomato season, which just ended about a month ago here in New Jersey. Uh, we use a field grown, gorgeous, fresh tomato. I, I just think that it's an ingredient that has so much variation. So why stick to just one if you love a couple different ones. You have pizza toppings that I think people might find unexpected, like peas and hazelnuts. Were these delicious accidents or were you looking for new and exciting toppings? I'm always on the hunt for new ingredients because ingredients are the primary source of inspiration for me. When I find a new ingredient and meet the people behind it, uh, it lights me up. I get so excited because I, I just made a friend in the, the hazelnut grower and they have a ton of hazelnuts and there's a story behind it. There's a reason why they're growing those hazelnuts. There's more to it than just, I, I didn't set out to put hazelnuts or peas on a pizza. They, they found me and they excited me. They got me all energized about the people and the product. And when you taste a fresh pea in the first uh, moments that they're, that they're picked in the very beginning of spring. It just, it's so beautiful. It's so delicious. And I don't really like peas unless it's pea season in New Jersey and they are, you know, hand shucked and these peas are just so sweet and the texture is extraordinary. It's not that mushy grainy pea that I grew up eating. Enjoy a pizza. You offer a Beautifully illustrated roadmap for topping a pizza. And you have a combination where you can put together cherries and dandelion greens or potatoes and garlic confit. Are there any rules you like to follow in combining toppings? My rule is keep it simple. I always start with the, the star of the show, right? So if it's dandelion greens, because that's what is growing right now, I start with that star ingredient and then I add one or two supporting characters that are meant to accentuate that star ingredient, but, but not take over, right? So with dandelion greens, dandelion greens are, are pretty bitter and very assertive in flavor. So we balanced it with just a touch of sweetness to offset the bitterness. So that's why cherries work great. You have a number of pizzas in the book where you're photographed squeezing a lemon wedge right over the pie, right out of the oven. And another one, you're grating fresh nutmeg over a hot pie. What's the benefit of adding these flavorings just before eating the pizza? Well, sometimes heat will change an ingredient. Uh, it'll make it, uh, you know, a little bit more murky and less vibrant, less bright. So we just want to add certain ingredients after the baking. Like if I, if I have a, a, an amazing burrata cheese, 
I'm never going to cook that. I'm always going to add it after the bake because the heat would change it and take away its sense of self. <laughs> if cheese ever had a sense of self. So Dan, you've been making pizzas your whole life. You run a pizza place. You own a pizza place in Jersey City. How'd you manage to write a book about pizza? So thankfully, I have an amazing co-author. Her name is Katie Parla. She's a Rome-based food and beverage journalist and cookbook author and all around amazing human being. Uh, and she was able to really extract all of the information and knowledge I had after making pizza and doing one thing for almost 20 years. Dan, for those of us not lucky enough to live in Jersey City or commuting distance, we can all at least now enjoy your pizzas in your upcoming book, Joy of Pizza. Thanks so much for sharing your tips and great luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. That was a fabulous and fantastic interview. As always, you're doing a great job with those. I should say that why am I not interviewing people before we get to segment Because four? I do such a good job at it. Because you do a great job of it. And, and because you're busy doing your other podcast, Walking oh with Dante. If you don't know about Mark's other podcast, he has one called Walking with Dante. The only podcast in the entire world that slow walks through Dante's masterwork comedy. What? Many people call it the divine comedy, except you never call it that. And I'll have you know that we are a year in and 105 episodes in, and we are halfway through in fairness. <laughs> we have a lot more to go. And Mark, has, an, Mark has another one called Lyric Life, where he mm -hmm. goes through lyric poetry. So if you and are I'm also teaching Middlemarch for eight weeks. This is why insane. I'm interviewing people for cooking with Right. Okay, so let's let's skip all that. Who cares? And go to segment <laughs> four and what's making us happy in food this week. What's making me happy is Fudgy the beer. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay, we're back to that food debate. It's no. a big blue can. No. And it's made by Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. They're in Connecticut. And they do this. And actually, I don't even know if it's a stout or a porter, but it's a dark beer. And it's flavored with chocolate that they do in combination Ew. with Carvel ice cream. Stop it right And if you now. remember Carvel from your childhood days, they had a cake. That was called Fudgy the Whale. And depending upon the holiday, they just decorated it differently and called it Cookie Puss or other stuff. But Fudgy the Whale has now been turned into Fudgy the Beer. Okay. No, I, I love Fudgy the Beer. I don't know anything about Carvel, and I don't know anything about their cakes. I grew up in the Christian part of this country. <laughs> and I don't know anything about any of that, And nor do I want Fudgy the Beer, but I can say Fudgy that the Beer. Bruce seems to love Fudgy the Beer, and I've seen him drink many a can of it, so perhaps you should check it out. And what's making me happy in food this week is herring. Oh, see, I knew that would get a laugh out of him. Herring you, is You did me. not grow up in the Christian world if you like in herring. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I have I've been converted. And I don't get much herring. We live in extremely rural New England, and Bruce drove a long way out into another part of the state to go to a proper supermarket and, in fact, bought a bunch of, as they say, appetizing, meaning um, smoked fish, smoked white fish. Uh, he made his own babnoosh. We had an entire, as Bruce would call it, appetizing dinner. Yeah, minus the bagels because they ain't no good bagels. Well, that may be true. However, he bought herring, and I have been slowly apportioning out my herring commitment. <laughs> I keep asking him if I'm going to get gout soon. Um, I keep portioning out my herring. Oh, for me, on a really, really crunchy whole 
wheat cracker with cream cheese and a piece of herring. It is simply superb. So herring's making me happy this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We hope that you'll subscribe and rate this podcast. If you rate it, well, I don't know what to say, except thank you. We can use the ratings for analytic purposes, either on Google or on Apple. And while you're at it, come to Facebook, join our group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. I post daily questions. We have more food debates, post pictures of food, join in the conversation, and come back for another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.